Jabberwocky, a poem by Lewis Carroll. Twas brillig and the slithy toves did gyre and jimble in the wave. All mimsy were the borogroves groves and the momraths outgrave. But where the Jabberwock, my son, the jaws that bite, the claws that catch, but where the Jubjub bird and shun the frumious bandersnatch. He took his vorpal sword in hand. Long time the maxim foe he sought. So rested he by the tum-tum tree and stood a while in thought. And as in uffish thought he stood, the jabberwock with eyes of flame came whiffling through the tulgy wood and burbled as it came. One, two, one, two, and through and through. The vorpal blade went snicker-snack. He left it dead, and with his head he went galumping back. And hast thou slain the jabberwock? Come to my arms, my beamish boy. O fragile day, kalu kalay, he chortled in his joy. Twas brillig, and the slithy toves did gyre and jimble in the wave. All mimsy were the borogoves, and the momraths outgrave. And I'm just wondering what someone listening to the podcast for the first time will think when they hear that. The poem you just heard, Jabberwocky, was written by Lewis Carroll. You may be familiar with Lewis Carroll. He wrote uh, something that's uh, much more popular than Jabberwocky, although I really love Jabberwocky. Uh, He wrote Alice in Wonderland, another strange story. Um, But I've always loved Jabberwocky. There's something about uh, the monster, the dreaded monster, the Jabberwock, uh, burbling as it comes, the jaws that bite, the claws that catch, the gleaming eyes. But for me, even more than the frumious bandersnatch and the terrible Jabberwock is the hero who in maxim thought uh, stands by the tum-tum tree waiting for his enemy. There's just something about our hero and the way he takes the vorpal blade and puts the Jabberwock down. Oh, the dreaded Jabberwock. But oh, the hero, our hero, the Jabberwock Slayer. Today we shall hear from and see and possibly fight another dread enemy, another dread monster, the humble brag. And if we cannot slay him, we have a wonderful humble brag slayer in the person of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we'll go to him for help. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for the English language. Lord, you have blessed us with English um, as our first language, and uh, you have worked through the English language to see that the gospel will have been taken to the entire world. So we thank you for that. We thank you for your word translated into English, and we thank you, Lord, that we have it and that we can treasure it and prize it and learn from it. And learn of other monsters that we need to fear and and the Savior that we need to love. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. So what is this dreaded monster, the humble brag? Well, here's the definition. A humble brag 
is a modest or self-deprecating statement whose actual purpose is to draw attention to something of which you're really proud of. Here's another definition of humble brag, that dreaded monster. When you boast, but, but pretend in your boasting to be modest about, about whatever it is, or if you gripe about something most people would desire, you're humble bragging. Uh, the term and practice of humble bragging is uh, native to social media. Here's an example of a humble brag. She humble bragged about how awful she looked without her makeup. Here's another example. I can't believe how stupid I sounded on my TV show last night. That's, those are humble brags. So why do people humble brag? Perhaps some of us humble brag because we know deep down in our hearts that all such bragging is truly prideful and wrong, not to mention sinful and stupid. Um, as my upperclassman freshman, well, when I was a freshman, my upperclassman roommate reminded me in my first year of college, he quoted a proverb at me. He said, let another praise you and not your own mouth. But that's another story for another day. The important truth to wrap our hearts around here is that we really should not praise ourselves. We should let others praise us. This is what the Bible teaches us about self-praise. So if and when we humble brag, we're really disguising our self-praise as pure humility, which of course it is not. It's the exact opposite of true humility. The humble brag has entered our language and it permeates social media. Some people say that uh, almost all of social media is made up of selfies. Think about that term, selfies. Think about the second thing that social media is made up of, humble brags, think about that, and rants. Almost all of social media is selfies, humble brags, or rants. Studies indicate that when someone hears a humble brag, they're less likely to read act positively to that person than if if that person just straight out brags. It's pretty easy to see a humble brag. So as it turns out, since it is relatively easy to spot, the humble brag is not the dreaded monster after all. This is called a bait and switch. This is where I got you thinking about humble bragging. But that's not a monster that you really need to be all that worried about because you can see that one coming. I want to tell you about another monster that is much more subtle, much more sneaky, devious, devilish even, and that's the monster pride. That's the real monster. And I think that maybe a few of you might have breathed a sigh of relief when you heard me say that the message is going to be about pride, and you're thinking, oh good, I don't have that problem. <laughs> Let me direct you back to the confession of sins time. And I really appreciate, James, that you took a little bit longer than normal today on the confession of sins time, because I, I love that time of the week. That may be the quietest time of the week for me. But it shouldn't be quiet in our spirit. It should be a time when we confess to the Lord 
whatever it is that stands between us and him. And sometimes we don't know what it is that stands between us and him. We were talking in Sunday school this morning about God gave his people different sacrifices that they were supposed to offer. And one of the sacrifices was to cover unknown sin. And that's the nature of sin. We don't, sometimes we know what our sins are. They're pretty obvious. But other times we don't. And pride is a devious monster that sneaks in. And if you were one of those who breathed a sigh of relief when you heard that the message was really about pride, i got to warn you, you are right in the crosshairs of the devil. Proverbs. I've so enjoyed this study. It's such a book of contrast. We have the virtuous woman versus the wayward woman. We have a contrast of the poor and the rich. We have a contrast of wisdom versus folly. We have a contrast of the man who fears the Lord. And then we have a contrast of the man who ignores the Lord. But all through Proverbs, there's another contrast that runs through the pages. And it's a theme that's repeated over and over and over. And that is this contrast of pride, the monster pride, versus humility. Today I want to look at a few scriptures in Proverbs that talk specifically about pride and the danger that it is in our lives. So our first focal passage is Proverbs chapter 18, verse 12. Before his downfall, a person's heart is proud, but humility comes before honor. How about this one? Proverbs 11.2, when arrogance comes, disgrace follows. But with humility comes wisdom. Or how about this Proverbs? Proverbs 16, 18. This is probably the most famous proverb. I think this, especially to people in the world. Now, Christians, we're going to go for Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not into your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him. And he will direct your path. That's, that's one of our favorites. But for the world, they know this one. Proverbs 16, 18. And by the way, this proverb is probably misquoted more than any other proverb. Pride comes before destruction. And an arrogant spirit before a fall. Now the world shortens that a little bit. It says pride comes before a fall. And you know, technically they're correct. That would work too. But the scriptures are even more graphic, even more devastating. Pride comes before destruction. So I have four principles on pride that we can take from these scriptures. And then we're going to have one more scripture that we're going to look at in the New Testament as well. Proverbs 18, 12. First, pride precedes downfall. Before his downfall, a person's heart is proud but humility comes before honor. Pride precedes downfall. Every one of these verses has a one-two punch. Something comes first, and then something follows. In Proverbs 16, or Proverbs 18, verse 12, the thing that comes first is a proud heart. First there's the proud heart, then there's the downfall. But there's a little bonus in that verse, just to make sure that you got the contrast, make, just to make sure you got the point, Solomon says this, he says, 
Humility comes first, and then honor. Pride, then downfall, or choose wisely, humility, and then honor. Pride precedes downfall. Second principle, pride precedes disgrace. Proverbs 11.2 says, when arrogance comes, disgrace follows. But with humility comes wisdom. Here again, we see a one-two. We see arrogance, disgrace. It's not just enough that you're going to have a downfall. You're going to be disgraced in your downfall. It's one thing to lose. It's another thing to be disgraced in your loss. And this is also a little one-two punch here. Because once again, we see that humility comes and then wisdom In the first verse we looked at it was humility, then honor. Now it's humility and then wisdom. Once again, the contrast is there. Which will you choose? So pride precedes downfall. Pride precedes disgrace. And then the third principle, pride precedes destruction, devastation. Proverbs 16, 18, pride comes before destruction. And an arrogant spirit before a fall. I'm reminded of Psalm 73 when Asaph is talking about how the rich, evil people in the land are prospering and how it troubles his soul when he sees that. And he talks about how their hearts are lifted up and how they look at him with haughty eyes. He was just in the first phase of what was going to happen. Their destruction was sure. And Asaph says that in Psalm 73 later on. He says, I know that their destruction is sure because you have... He's talking to the Lord. You have set their feet in a slippery place. Their fall is imminent. Pride precedes disgrace, downfall, destruction. Pride can kill you. I recently saw a movie about uh, the Russian Navy and uh, in in 2000, the year 2000, the Russian Navy decided that they were going to conduct a naval exercise. Now, this was the first time they had done a significant naval exercise in over 10 years. The monies had not been there. The Soviet Union had collapsed. And this moment in, in the year 2000 was supposed to be a restoration of their national pride, this great big naval exercise. This was their first significant Naval exercise in over 10 years. It's a proud moment for the Russians initially. Because during the exercise, the nuclear-powered submarine, the Kursk, suffered an explosion. And then two and a half minutes later, it suffered a massive explosion. There were 118 submariners on board. Now this is Almost unthinkable because the Kursk was the pride of the Russian fleet. It was thought to be unsinkable. Sound familiar? The crew had recently won awards for being one of the best in the entire Russian Navy. And even though there were scores of Russian ships all around, and some of them actually felt the impact of the explosion. As a matter of fact, seismographs in Alaska picked up the explosion. It was that serious, that that large. Even though there were a lot of Russian assets around, the Kremlin was not even aware of what had happened 
until the U.S. State Department contacted them and offered our assistance. So we Americans offered our help, but the British did too, and the Norwegians did too, and the French did too, and the Germans did too, and the Israelis offered their help. Because not everybody died in that initial blast. Twelve of the sailors survived. But the Russian government would not accept any help. Why not? Could it have been pride? So if you want downfall, disgrace, destruction, and death, pride is the road you want to travel. Pride is a monster that will destroy you and it's so wicked and so evil because we don't even see it when it's in our own lives. I'm going to give you another reason why you should fear pride. Now we're going to head out of Proverbs. We're going to go to 1 Peter Chapter 5, verses 5 through 6. Let me read this for you. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5 through 6. In the same way, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. All of you, clothe yourself in humility towards one another because God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Now I could preach a whole message on that verse. In the same way, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Let's just camp out there for a little bit. Just kidding. I don't, I, don't pick, I don't think that there's an issue in this church with that. But I love the wording here. All of you clothe yourselves with humility. I pray on a regular basis, Lord, help me to take on the cloak of humility. Help me to put it on just like I put on a coat. Help me to take that humility cloak with me everywhere I go. Why? One of the most frightening verses in the Bible. Why clothe ourselves with humility? Peter says, because God resists the proud. And he gives grace to the humble. You know, people try to play games with God all the time. Here's a word of advice. Don't play against God. Try to get on His team. But if you want to play against Him, the best way to do it is to be proud and to think that you might actually win. Never bet against the one who holds all the cards. Actually, God doesn't just hold the cards. He invented the game. He invited you to the table. He dealt you the cards. And he's going to win. So don't ever, ever bet against God. Better better even than that. Don't, Don't play games with God. You're not going to win. And pride guarantees God's defiance. So, Christians, how... How do we slay this evil monster? How do we kill monster pride? I'm going to tell you right now, you you really can't. He's too sneaky. He's too good at what he does. But we can place our lives in Christ and we can ask our hero to be the slayer of monster pride. I want you to listen to what Jesus, our hero, 
the slayer of monster pride. I want you to listen to what Jesus said to his disciples in Matthew chapter 20. The disciples were wrestling over position. They were jockeying for position as to who was going to be the greatest in the kingdom. And this was an ongoing battle in the disciples. The twelve apostles. John and James even sent their mother to lobby Jesus. She didn't ask for much. She just said, Jesus, when you come into your kingdom, can John sit on the right hand and James sit on the left hand? Is that right? Is that left? Okay. Stage right, stage left. I don't really care if John is on the right or James is on the left. It doesn't matter. It's up to you, Lord, as long as they are on your right or on your left. So the disciples were arguing about who was going to be the greatest. As a matter of fact, even on the night of the Last Supper, the Lord's Supper, they had this dispute amongst themselves. But what is Jesus, our pride slayer, what does he have to say? It must not be like this among you. He's talking to the disciples here, Matthew chapter 20, he says, it must not be like this among you. On the contrary, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must be your slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. I'll never forget one time we were at a restaurant. We had just sat down, and this young lady came up to us and introduced herself, and I was just making conversation. I didn't mean anything by it. I said, oh, so you're going to serve us tonight. And you would have thought that I had cursed her publicly. She said, I am not your servant. And I'm thinking, I'm not sure I'm going to want to eat whatever she brings to the table. But she took such great offense at being thought of as a servant, Christians, You better not take offense. It's where we need to live. If in doubt, serve one another. Instead of jockeying for position, we should be looking for ways to serve each other. How do we slay the monster pride? We don't. We can't. It's up to Jesus. Listen to what the writer of Hebrews tells us. Hebrews chapter 12, 2. Keeping our eyes on Jesus, the source and perfecter of our faith for the joy that lay before him. He endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So Kevin, how do we do this? How do we serve one another? How do we trust Jesus? Well, number one, keep your eyes on him. Focus on him, not on your own needs, not on how you want to be served. Think about how you can serve him. Think about how you can serve your brothers and sisters. Think about how you can serve your neighbors around you. Serve others. Focus on Jesus. He'll win the battle for us. Beware the humble brag, my son. The jaws that bite, the claws that catch. Beware the pride, pride monster. And shun the vainglory vanity. But cling to our hero, the Lord Jesus Christ. For he has slain the pride, pride monster and laid him low. He endured the cross, despised the shame, and he is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. 
Father, thank you that Jesus has won all of our battles if we just would have enough sense to stop fighting them ourselves and rely on him and work through him as he works through us. Thank you, Lord, that Jesus despised in the shame. And as Paul said, did not think it a big thing to be equal with God, but took on the form of a man and humbled him. There it is again, Lord. Humbled himself and submitted to death, and not just any death, but death on a cross. And it's because of this, because he slew the, this monster of pride, God has exalted him to the highest point. And at some point in time, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. Sometimes, Lord, we forget that you've already won the battle. And we're so busy trying to win the battle, trying to jockey for position. We get caught up in all that. Help us to cling to you, Lord. Help us to keep our eyes on Jesus. Help us to find ways to serve one another. Lord, give us the strength to do just that. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.